What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, as always, thank you for being here. It seems like it's been a while since we've recorded. It has been a while since we did one of the Q&As. We did the um, mistakes we've made in training. Oh, that's right. Recently, but, but yeah, it's been a while since we did the Q&A because last one was scheduled for when we were in Scottsdale. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So talk us through then what's been going on with your training, your nutrition lately. I am transitioning to a new coach. So things are changing up a lot. So Sue has been awesome. I've learned a ton from her and have zero bad things to say. Um, But just to learn uh, new things and kind of get a little bit different experience. I'm starting with Austin Stout. And he is more of like a bodybuilding coach um, slash like functional nutrition kind of a thing. So uh, this is my, like I've just gotten started and and what I'm doing is basically like a bro meal plan, which I've never done before. Like I never even started out that way. So it's, it's actually been super nice because this is kind of a busy season. So just like prepping a whole bunch of rice and chicken and turkey at one time and laying that out and having like every meal has the same macros. It's some different foods, but um, it's like no thinking required. So that's actually been super nice. I know some people don't like that at all because it's boring, but right now the enjoyment of my food is just kind of taking a back seat and I'm just focusing on everything else and that is just on autopilot so it's pretty nice yeah i think the meal plans get way too much hate where and i know this is something we talked about quite a bit like shifting more and more like i think like uh flexible dieting is still a valuable tool to have you want clients to understand like how to work some flexibility and but like especially in a fat loss phase people just like and this is something we work with a lot of clients where we're kind of creating this like faux meal plan so to speak where it's like more or less you have these meals that you just repeat, right? Because if it's if it's like literally, okay, I create a day of eating that I know it's my macros and I just repeat this across the week, that's like you literally don't have to think about it, right? Like I think a big part of why dieting is so hard for so many people or why macros are so hard for so many people before they start working with a coach or even if they're working with a coach that doesn't provide any support beyond that, it's just that it's like it does require so much thinking and people are constantly like playing this game of macro catchers. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And then also, I think from a micronutrient status or status status, every time I say micronutrient status, I always say status instead of status, but it's status. Um, anyways, uh, like from a micronutrient density perspective as well, like if you're not using something like a chronometer, it is a lot easier, like if you do have a lot more structure around that to make sure that you're getting all of your micronutrients as well. Um, how have you liked your training? So... For now, I haven't gotten new labs done, but my previous one had actually low morning cortisol. So he kind of flagged that and was like, hey, we need to um, not diet for a while and bring stress down and then work on that. And then like once that is resolved, um, then we can get back into like harder training, maybe dieting. So uh, for now, it's like a metabolic phase, but it's pretty low volume. Okay. It's interesting because it never seems like your perceived stress is very high, but I know that like one of the constant themes for you is like your blood work always seems to show stress is high. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't don't know. Maybe I just don't deal with it very well, but I I don't feel like I'm stressed. So I don't know. I mean, the kids stress me out. (laughs) 
<laughs> I have never, like, you never seem stressed in any of our conversations either. It, it, that's in it, a very interesting trend that I've noticed. I'm interested to see how your blood changes and, like, what you do when you get your next round of labs. When is that? Uh, you just said relatively soon we'll get new ones. So it has to be, so for any menstruating woman, it has to be on a specific day or at least very close to um, the, the 21st day of the cycle. So it's, I would say it's probably either going to be like in the next, like the next three weeks or six weeks or whatever. So I don't know. Okay. I haven't actually had a check-in with them yet. So it would be interesting to, okay. to hear back from that. Cool. Well, I'm interested to see how that goes. Okay. Well, let's go ahead. We have quite a few questions today, actually. Let's kick this off. And I'm going to send the first one over to you, which is particular exercises you recommend for a neural phase. Oh, so for neural phase, you can do more of the compound exercises than you would want to do for like a, so like in a metabolic phase, you'd never want to do like a deadlift <laughs> or anything like that but for neuro um, I really like having more of those because the focus is strength so for me it, even from just an enjoyability aspect I really like adding in more of a compound lift you still have to take into account the stimulus to fatigue ratio so maybe like a conventional deadlift still might not be in there unless that's something that the client actually really likes or even like a barbell squat because that one is um, tricky for a lot of people on setup. You still want it to be like where they can kind of get into it and just be in their groove with form and put the most amount of um, <clears throat> like power into it. Um, but you can you can use those more compound movements. Um, not you don't have to exclusively use those. Like I'll still put in things like lateral raises, but maybe that's sets of eight rather than sets of four or six. But um, as the main movements, I really like the big compound lift. What do you think? Yeah. The biggest thing in neural phase is we want exercises that emphasize the initiation aspect, right? So basically, like, our first priorities are going to be two to three movements that are lengthened overload, right? And it doesn't have to be like, hey, we're starting in the lengthened position. But again, like a barbell back squat, like at the bottom, okay, we're going to be lengthened overload. And then from the like within the concentric, like the lifting portion of whatever movement it is, one of the main keys in a neural phase to get the most out of it is we're very much focused on like being explosive or we could say like initiation, like from the stretch position, right? So like yeah. a barbell back squat on the way up to get that adaptation we want in a neural phase or like from the bottom of a deadlift. Now with this, I personally don't, I don't love to have like dramatically, and this is just my take. This isn't necessarily like the, and the thing with the, to understand for anyone listening is there are so many people out there who use like neurological phases, hypertrophy phases and metabolic phases, like kind of in this in one fashion, but everyone's take on it is quite a bit different. Like how we approach this is different than like physique development who we primarily learned this from who i know is different from like how n one uses it so everyone like has kind of a different take on it for me personally i don't like to like if we're not going to be doing a barbell back squat the rest of our time working together like in a hypertrophy phase or a metabolic phase i personally just don't feel like it makes a ton of sense for us to like okay for this one neural phase we're going to do a barbell back squat yes we are going to like that will have some carryover to your hack squat. But from my perspective, I think it still makes sense to like, okay, what if we just got really good at 
the hack squat in this with this neurological adaptation. And then that would carry over even more to your hack squats in a hypertrophy phase. So like for me, the whole point of it is potentiating better movement in a hypertrophy phase, right? Right. But I mean, there's no gospel there. Like similarly, if you were doing a barbell back squat in this phase, right. And we were better at, again, basically we were more explosive. We were better at recruiting muscle fibers within a rep, like getting better at that on the barbell back squat would have some carryover to a hack squat. But the thing with the most carryover would be like doing that with a hack squat and then carrying that hack squat over to your hypertrophy phase. But typically with exercise selection, I found that I just don't like variation quite as much as like a lot of people that I've worked with personally. Um, but again, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong way to do this. But again, it's like within those first two to three movements of the training program at neural phase, we almost always, there could, depending on how we set this up, there could be some exceptions, but we almost always want those first three movements, like those first two or three movements, I should say, to be lengthened overload biased. Um, yeah, that's really my thoughts as far as exercise selection on neural phase. You have anything else to add to that? No, I think that's it. Really the only phase where things are going to be that much different with exercise selection is metabolic. Cause you don't want those lengthened yeah. overload movements, but yeah, you're, you're right. They're not too much different mm-hmm. between neuro and hypertrophy. Yeah, that, that's very true. The, the the main difference there would be like, okay, maybe in a hypertrophy phase, we would do like a short to lengthen superset or we would do like a lengthen short superset and then move on to yeah. another lengthen short superset or even like a pairing that's not necessarily superset. And then her next question on that was ideally, how long should a neural phase be if you only program a couple a couple a year? Any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean... That seems pretty individual to the person. So why are you programming the neural phase? Is it just to potentiate better hypertrophy? Is it to bring stress down? Um, if it's to bring stress down, you might elongate it a little bit more. Uh, if it's to potentiate hypertrophy, hmm, four to six weeks is probably good. But I don't think there's any one right answer on that. Yeah, that's a good than th- More than three weeks, like at least four weeks mm-hmm. uh, is really the only yeah. like standard i'd say i i think that's very well summed up like if the goal is just to initiate more hypertrophy it would probably be i would say four to six weeks would be ideal i mean really you could run it until you stop seeing progressions and then transition yeah. to a different phase but again there's not necessarily a cut or dry answer here like if you wanted to like stay at a neural stimulus for eight weeks 12 weeks and maybe there's like some progressions built into that maybe if there's like a deload or a metabolic phase thrown in the mix but again i would like to get the adaptations that you want you're probably again gonna want to spend at least three to four weeks there um but also again like it's gonna depend more than anything i would say in this case like as you said like is it something that we're doing to bring down stress individual stress is just super high so we want to better match what we're doing with the training there um is it something maybe again like the clients in a fat loss phase like Clients, clients in a fat loss phase, like towards the end of it, with carbs are getting super low, they're low energy, they're struggling to recover. Um, I mean, a lot of times we'll spend like the last, at least with my clients, a lot of times we'll spend like the last like eight ish weeks of a fat loss phase in a neural phase. So that can vary quite a bit as well. Any other thoughts on that? I'd also ask if this was like a dialogue with that person. I would ask, how do you already know ahead of time that you're only going to do two of them in a year? 
It's a good insight. Yeah. That's <laughs> like typically, <laughs> typically it's something we want to, I, I, and that's like, like I would say if you're good, uh, I think we could spend most of the year in hypertrophy and that's typically what we lean towards, but mm -hmm. still like it's something that you typically want to introduce when it seems needed rather than having like, okay, I'm for sure only going to program like two neural phases a year. Yeah. Cool. Um, next question I have is time management and habit building. How do you do everything you do in one day? Um, yeah. Questions like this always make me super self-conscious because I like productivity questions. This is from a client. She asked me this over email as well. I don't really feel like I'm actually that productive in a day. So I would first put that out there as a disclaimer. Um, yeah, when it comes to this, I mean, big things for me, I always have, I think one is just like every day has a theme, right? So Mondays are my check-in days, Tuesdays yeah. I do check-ins and I typically record podcasts. Wednesdays are typically a day where I'm trying not to set up any calls. I'm mostly focused on just creating a lot of content, um, writing blogs, working on our course, things of that nature. Thursdays are typically a pretty call-heavy day and Fridays are typically like a day where I program. So first I think like, for me, I'm a terrible multitasker, so I try to avoid multitasking as much as I can. And then within that, I always have timers running. So like I'll typically try to work in two to three hour blocks, depending on how productive I'm feeling for the day. But because a lot of times it's so easy to just like procrastinate something. Um, and just like, okay, I'm going to do all these other easy tasks first. So typically what I'll do is like, okay, I'm sitting down, I'm going to set a 90 or 120 minute timer, or excuse me, 120 to 180 minute timer. And I'm going to just focus on this one thing until I get it done. Right. And I'm going to work until this timer expires. And then from there, like if I'm really getting easily distracted, I also have this app on the desktop called cold Turkey blocker where I can like block Gmail, I can block Instagram. I can basically block everything so I can't go look at anything else on my computer. Honestly, though, the timers and just like, okay, I'm going to focus on this one thing. I'm going to get this done within this time block and then whatever other task I have. Um, and then I use a sauna where every night I'm planning for the next day. So a sauna is basically just like a checklist where you can like put all the tasks you need to do. I always will plan like my five most important things to get done the next day. And those are what's going to pick the priority. Man, past that, I, I personally, this is a question that a few clients have asked and I don't really understand it because I actually don't feel like I'm that productive. So I'll say as of now, I honestly think past that, it's just a matter of putting yourself in a position to where you have to do all these things and you just do. Like, as you know, a lot of times, you're probably very aware of this working through the course with me, but a lot of times I feel like I'm just getting stuff done where it's like, okay, I literally have to get this done today. So it's going to get done. I mean, but honestly, I think there's a lot of power to that. Just like when people with 20 clients ask, like, how can you manage more clients than this? It's like, as you take them on and you put yourself in the position where you have to, you just figure it out. You make it happen. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that? Cause you're, I feel like, I feel like you are more efficient than I am. I, do things pretty similar actually so my days have like a theme like you mentioned so Mondays and Wednesdays are both check-ins um Tuesday is more of an open-ended day but Thursdays we have team meeting I take calls on Thursdays I take calls on Friday and I also do programming on Friday and then lately it's just like 
any free time, it's working on the mentorship course and answering back emails. Um, I do do new client programming on Tuesdays. So um, <clears throat> really, it's just that most of my days, uh, like each weekday, to like Monday to Monday looks pretty much the same. Tuesday to Tuesday looks pretty much the same. Um, mornings, I have the same routine that I go for. It's not like this, like perfect day formula kind of a routine. It's just, I eat breakfast at the same times. I get my, which having kids helps with this a little bit. Cause like they have to get to school. They have to have lunches made. So it forces a little bit of structure, but yeah, I think you're right. That once you have more, it, it's kind of like the frog in boiling water analogy. Like you work your way up to more and more stuff and you just do it because you start <laughs> like acclimating to, to more and more. And what does that have to do with boiling frogs? I don't think I've never analogy. heard of that analogy. No. Is it, did I use the right animal? You're like <laughs> casting a, you're like casting a hex on somebody or. No, no. It's the frog. I think it's a frog. The frog in boiling water analogy is like, you started out in this like normal room temperature water and you slowly, <laughs> it's a really terrible analogy. And then you but just you, die. Like, you slowly increase the, the water temperature so that eventually it's boiling, but it hasn't realized anything's changing along the way. I cannot believe you haven't heard this analogy before. <laughs> so you're saying like we're slowly every second that passes by, we're slowly getting closer to dying. It's like <laughs> Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, an interesting analogy. No, I'm pretty no, sure. No, but I, I mean, like you work your way up from from five clients up to fifty, and it's like, yeah, nothing drastically day to day or week to week has changed, but you just acclimate to it and you figure it out as you go, and you just get better at fitting everything in. Oops, sorry about my dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I agree. I'm just giving you a hard time there. I think the biggest thing is like trying is avoiding multitasking and just having a clear focus for every day that you go into and like within your time blocks again like i'm focusing on this thing i know like for that's like i if i'm going to answer emails it's not just i'm answering one email i'm going to work through my inbox right or i'm answering check-ins i'm not going to like answer a few check-ins go create social media content go do this thing and come back it's we're focused on this and trying to get in a flow with a single thing and then once that's all done, then also I think like I found trying to work for like four or five hours straight typically is a very productive for me. So um, it's pretty helpful to, again, like use that method where it's like, okay, I'm going to work for two to three hours depending, depending on how productive I'm feeling. And then I'm going to go for a walk. Then I'm going to eat. So normally it's like every three hours I will take that break. I'll eat a meal. I'll take a ego for a walk. And then I'll be in a better place mentally to be more productive again and kind of get back to it. The consistent sleep and wake times actually do help a lot. And while we don't have kids, honestly having our dog has helped a ton here because she always like, what I, more and more, so like five, six months ago, I would always wake up at 6.30 and get started. But like what's happened is she'll just like, she somehow knows like five minutes before I typically wake up, she'll like start barking. So that's creeped earlier and earlier and earlier. So it was like 5.30. Now it's like five that she gets up. So like that's honestly, that's really helped me because by like the time nine o'clock rolls around, I'm so damn tired from getting up with her at five that it's really like helped me establish a really solid rhythm for like my sleep and wake times as well. 
Um, I don't know. That That's helpful. I don't think I have anything else to add there to you. No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, any advice about training and nutrition modifications for women around their cycle? Training and nutrition modifications. So in, so this is all, I'm going to, I'm going to say like what it is in theory, but then also know that this is not something that I ever really cover with my clients. So for the first two weeks of your cycle, you are more insulin sensitive and you can handle higher volume of training. In the last two, you're less insulin sensitive and you don't recover quite as well from that high volume of training. So in theory, you could have, you could like take this on in a couple of different ways. So you could either like really push for a lot of progress in weeks one and two, and then just kind of coast and maintain the, the last two weeks and take it a little bit easier. Or you can uh, carb cycle over the course of the month. But the reason I started out with that um, kind of disclaimer is that is great, but everybody's individual. And so mm -hmm. one person on their like, during the minty phase of their cycle is going to feel great and they're PRing and nothing ever changes. Another person is going to feel like they've just been knocked down and they feel terrible and they can't train <laughs> and they've got cramps and everything else. So it's really more up to the individual and you might notice maybe differences with like the rate of weight loss between the, the two cycles, but that's like so much less of a difference than just someone being more adherent versus less adherent. So I, it's not something that I really go into. It's something that I talked through briefly with someone who was trying to conceive, but that made the, the process so much more complicated that it's not even something that we ended up doing anyway. So it, it's great to know, but in application, I don't think it's, really going to come up very often yeah i agree i think the most important thing here is understanding as you said like what can the client realistically adhere to now someone we've learned a lot about and like what i'll say is i, I think everything in this regard that i know i have learned from jeff sue and his cycle syncing class so if this is something that you're interested in i believe his website is firstcalloutfitness.com and that he has a cycle syncing class there that's very good if you want to like really dig deep into the X's and O's of this. But again, like the actual application of it, um, it can just be like quirk complicating things so much for like very, very marginal benefits. And I think a lot of times it can just be overwhelming for the client, as you mentioned. Um, so I think of like, but again, basically the thing to understand here, as you said, is essentially you can divide your cycle up into two phases. We have the follicular phase, which is typically like a 28-day cycle. That's typically going to be the first half. You're going to ovulate right in the middle. And then the luteal phase is going to be the second half. Again, in theory, um, we should be more insulin sensitive the first half in that follicular phase. So we could potentially push carbs a little bit more. You'll probably feel best in the training during that first half. So, hey, we can push training a little bit harder. And again, in theory, maybe, hey, we would want to pull back on the carbohydrate and take a little bit in the second half. We maybe want to pull back on training intensity a little bit in the second half. Now, again, like I haven't seen very many benefits from trying to modulate training 
around the menstrual cycle like that. What I have found more than anything is, hey, understanding like typically the last week here of the legal phase, right before your cycle is about to start, just understand like it's pretty normal to not feel quite as motivated, to like not feel quite as in quite as good a headspace. You might not feel quite as energetic, and this depends on the individual as well. But many women won't feel quite as energetic like that final week before their cycle starts. So it can be helpful to just, and even within that, it's not necessarily like a, a adjust anything in training because you can still make progress during that time, right? And I try not to like speak, I don't want to speak it into like, hey, yeah, you're going to feel like shit this week. So there's no point in being pushing hard because almost always we'll see like, hey, yeah, you still progress. You just didn't feel like quite as energetic this week. Um, one client I have that, and we just recently have worked through this and we have some pretty big improvements to where she was, her cycle was just, just knocking her out for like two to three weeks after she would feel absolutely terrible. Wow. We started with the, we started with the cycle syncing protocol and also with her, like her, um, she would just lose. So she also was, would like get anemic on her period as well. So part of it too, was just like us actually addressing that with her. Cause she like talked to her doctor about it. I hadn't taken any action steps. So basically the first looked at her micronutrients and making sure that she was dialing in all those. And of course, like iron was something that we wanted to put a big focus on there. So we eat a lot of iron dense foods. And then also we noticed for her, and this was kind of like multifactorial, but also noticed for her vitamin D was very low. So we'd like work through different foods she can implement and really like sardines are something that she's put a big focus on actually. And that's helped a ton of many of her micronutrients, but really the biggest difference maker is there. Like Again, in theory, when we look at this, we could go like higher carb, lower fat, the first half in the follicular phase, um, and then higher fat, lower carb in the luteal phase. But really what we found is we just didn't feel very good at all when we made that transition to that higher fat intake, lower carb intake in the second half. And it was messing with their digestion more than anything else. So really for her, the biggest benefits have just come from making sure that she's nailing her micronutrients. And it has been pretty dramatic the improvements that she's seen, but it hasn't necessarily been from like us adjusting her training volume too much. Now for her, because again, like that, there was like an exceptionally, like her periods were exceptionally hard on her. Um, we do pull back training intensity just a bit. So she'll leave a couple reps in the tank during that time. And then again, just making sure her micronutrient status is on point, but we haven't been doing like we've pulled back from like, Hey, we're going to do like higher carb this first half and then lower carb the second half. And we've very much just been focusing on again, making sure my nutrients are in place. Um, and then pulling back her training intensity a bit the week of her cycle actually right before that. But that's basically been what we've done there. Yeah, that's super interesting. So like you mentioned with the supplements, actually what I've found is much more helpful for most people than messing with their diet through the course of the month is saying, okay, why are you bloating the, the previous week to starting your cycle? Okay, it's progesterone drops. So you are more likely to get constipated. That's a big part of it. So let's add in some natural calm in the evening to help you go to the bathroom more regularly. And then why do you start to get so fatigued through the first week well a lot of it is because you're losing blood and so your iron gets low so let's start supplementing with some iron for that first week and just kind of <laughs> I mean it's kind of like patching holes <laughs> for those that one week there in between in the transition that could be helpful more so than going okay let's radically change your diet from these two weeks to that two weeks just for the realistic aspect of it yeah 
Absolutely. And then like, if you have bad PMS symptoms, and again, this is something that I pulled from Shepherds too, so I want to make sure I give them credit there, but calcium bicarbonate. So basically like comes can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Glutamine can help also when just like calming your stomach like a bit, so to speak. But yeah, that's really like, I think from what I've seen so far, and again, with just how far clients are willing to take this, I think those are the main action yeah. steps. Anything else to add there? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I think we covered it. Cool. Um, physical slash mental signs you are low on energy. All right. So the first thing I would say here is you feel low on energy. It's going to be a good <laughs> sign. Um, yeah, I'm not sure here if she's talking about like low energy availability. I should have asked a follow up question on this because I mean, again, like you're basically you're gonna feel hungrier, you're gonna have higher cravings, you're just gonna feel low energy if you're low on energy. I think I think she must be assuming like I'm guessing maybe what she's saying is science is you're too low on calories. So I'm gonna kind of approach it from that perspective. Now, also again, like this is context dependent as far as where you are at, right? Sometimes in a fat loss phase, you're probably just gonna feel low energy now on the flip side what i'll say is like when we're looking at energy availability like the menstrual cycle for this is from a, a woman who asked this so what i would say is like if you're starting to see irregularities or like more destruction in menstrual, menstrual cycle that could be one sign um if you're consistently like feeling lightheaded that's another good sign that hey we may need to increase your calories by a good bit um training performance is consistently dropping you are seeing actually regression in the logbook but again like this is this is honestly a hard question for me to answer i should have asked her for more clarity on what exactly she meant there do you have anything else to add on that i don't think so because i am also a little bit confused on on what exactly direction she was wanting us to go on that one Okay. Yeah. But I think we covered it on like low energy availability. mm -hmm. Like if you're, again, I think that, I think from the perspective that she's taking it from, again, your menstrual cycle is going to be a big one. I would also say like, if you are looking at your micronutrients, just if you are really struggling to actually hit your micronutrient needs, despite making that a big focus, despite eating mostly whole foods, it would probably be beneficial to add in a little bit more food in order to be able to hit those targets. Um, even if that means you can't push the fat loss along quite as quickly. Um, you'll typically see hunger very high. You'll see cravings very high and start to see motivation dip. But again, like some of these things, it just is going to depend. Like sometimes if you're a lean person trying to get very lean, sometimes this is going to be part of the game as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Like starting out in a diet, if you feel all of these symptoms from low energy availability, that's definitely something to address. Like look into food, look into what micronutrients you're low on. Um, But if it's later on into the diet, like you said, like that just is kind of part of it. And I would say with the clients we work with, again, like the cycle is the biggest, is the biggest one where like if you're getting ready for a bodybuilding show, for example, it's normal. It's, I don't want to like necessarily normalize it, but a lot of women will lose their cycle. But like anyone that we work with, I know anytime we start to see irregularities there, that's almost always like a huge red flag. Hey, let's, we're going to increase calories for at least a period of time. Yeah. I guess one other thing to look at here is, have you been abusing caffeine? 
because that is a big one. If you, if you like start to get a little bit low energy and um, then you just like increase your coffee and then increase your coffee and then increase your coffee, then over time, that's not going to uh, be helping you anymore. And you're actually going to see a lot more adverse effects from it. So just like over time, backing that down to like maybe switch half of it out for decaf and then eventually um, three quarters of it and, and then on down to none of it, then you can kind of resensitize yourself so that you're not dragging all the time just because you're constantly overstimulated with caffeine. Absolutely. Okay. Final question we have, can you eat too much protein in maintenance? And I'm going to kick this one over to you. I think that with protein, uh, really the only thing that you can do where you know it's too much is start to have digestion issues. So as far as the amount, it's been studied up to like four grams per pound, like a ridiculous amount of protein to where no one would ever actually do that. Um, and it didn't cause health issues or adverse effects other than digestion. So that's a pretty, that's really the only thing I think that you would notice as far as like getting too much. And even within that, you can look at how much you're having in the day. And then let's say you're having three meals. Well, what if you expanded that to four meals or five meals so that each individual protein serving was smaller, then you can usually improve the digestion of it. And then also if you're running into that issue, maybe stress is high and your stomach acid is low. So you, then you're having a hard time digesting protein. Well, then you can either look into obviously like long-term you would be, want to be looking into how can you improve that stress, but shorter term you can go, okay, well, do I need to add in some lemon juice or apple cider vinegar before meals or even like a betaine HCL or pepsin to improve the digestion of that food. But so that it's not even that just the high protein on its own causing digestive issues is necessarily the thing that's going wrong, but you might need to look at why you're not digesting that well. But, but yeah, I think that's the only really big thing there is digestion. Yeah. And I mean, I think you can take it too far if you're turning it into basically a protein sparing modified fast every day where like all you're eating is protein. Because again, the thing to understand is we're going to need a certain amount of fat to get our essential fatty acid needs in, right? Or if we're yeah. pushing, like we're pushing protein so high that we're about, I believe it's 1.5 to 1.8 grams of carbs per pound of body weight is typically kind of as a very general recommendation. That's typically like about the amount of carbs we would need to optimize our training performance as well, right? So if it's like, hey, we're pushing protein so high, we're well above this one gram per pound of body weight marks. So we know we're getting more than enough to build muscle tissue and maintain all the muscle tissue that we built. But it's actually like you're pushing protein so high that you're missing out on like essential fats, like that's driving your fat intake extremely low. Or, hey, we're like we're replacing so many carbs with protein that we don't feel good in the gym, right? We're not we're not able to train as hard, we're not able to recover as well, we're not getting as good at pumps in the gym. That again would be detrimental. So again, for most people, what I would say is like again, make sure we have at least about 0.3 grams of fat as general recommendation per pound of body weight. I would really aim to have carbs at least like 1.5 to 1.8 grams per pound of body weight as well. Again, just general recommendations, not a specific prescription, but then typically from there. We're almost always good to kind of push protein as high as you can digest okay past that point. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that squeezing out other foods, but that's a good point. Cool. Any other thoughts on that? No, I don't think so. Perfect. Well, that is all we have for you guys today. As always, thank you for tuning in and we will catch y'all next time.